0: Good morning. You're listening to NPR News. I'm Dan Crocker, here with my colleague Kirstie Marone. We're sitting in for Angela Davis. Glad you could join us today. Transportation is the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions in the state. As part of its goal to be carbon-free in about 25 years, Minnesota wants to have electric vehicles make up 20% of all vehicles by 2030. But while EV sales are growing right now, we're only
1: at 1%. And we're still facing bumps in the road as we roll out more EVs. Where are we going to charge all those electric cars? How will the electric grid handle the surge in demand as more people shift to electric? And how do batteries hold up in cold weather like we've been having this week? This hour, we're going to dive into some of these questions. And
0: we want to hear from you too. Do you own an electric vehicle? What's been your experience? Or are you thinking about buying one but still have questions about what to look for, how they function, or what tax credits and rebates are available? The phone lines are open. Give us a call 651 227 6000 or 800 242 2828. Let's bring in our guests now. In the studio with us, we have Diana McEwen. She co-leads the Clean Energy Resource Teams, or CERTs, through the nonprofit Great Plains Institute. The CERTs teams work at the community level across Minnesota to support clean energy projects, including transportation electrification. Diana is also a member of the Drive Electric Minnesota team and has been an EV owner herself for over 10 years. Diana, thanks for coming in this morning.
2: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Also with us, Beth Callistad. She's the Principal Sustainability Planner in the Office of Sustainability and Public Health at the Minnesota Department of Transportation. At MnDOT, she oversees a federal and state program that is funded construction of a network of electric vehicle charging stations along some major highways in Minnesota. Beth. Thanks for being with us today. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely. And our colleague, NPR News correspondent Dan Gunderson, is also joining us this morning from our bureau in Moorhead. Dan has been covering EVs as part of our going as a part of our getting to green series. Dan, thanks for being with us today.
3: You're welcome. Good morning.
1: Diana, let me start with you. I think the cold weather is on a lot of people's minds right now this week. And they're wondering how these single digit temperatures are affecting electric vehicles and their performance. I know you've been driving an EV for quite some time. Tell me how your experience has been.
2: Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, That's probably the question I get the most from people. Um, and, And so I think it's important to understand that The battery capacity um, that you have just really dips down a bit in the winter with the cold weather. Um, It doesn't mean your car goes slow; like you can't (laughs) get up to speed. It's it's really a battery capacity. Um, But with the vehicles that are out now, coming out now, that have a hundred plus mile range, you know, and more. Uh, when there's a, a dip in the percentage, whether it's ten, twenty, thirty, and it depends on how cold it is, you have just less capacity, and and that battery powers everything in your car. And one of the wonderful things about EVs that are fairly standard are heating, steer- <laughs> heated steering wheel, and heated seats, and those make a huge difference. Um, with a with an electric motor, things it just goes on. You turn it on, and it's on. So. It heats up really quickly, and um, so it's really warm. Um, and so we just it requires more planning and more thinking about where are you going, how far are you going, do you need to charge, et cetera.
0: We're going to hear um, a, a little later in the show, I did an interview with uh, with an EV salesperson who said that his rule of thumb is that he t- kind of tells people to bank on maybe getting half the charge. They're, in the winter and then you'll be safe. Is that, do you agree with that?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think my experience has been closer to the 35 or 40% depending. And I have a Nissan Leaf Plus at 2019. So it's got a, I I paid a little extra for a bigger battery. Um, The range is around 220. So this week it's been at 180, 180, you know, 70. I think one day it was maybe 160. So it's still plenty. I mean, the average driver in in the United States drives about 41 miles a day. Um, I drive less. I drive much less than that. So um, it still is plenty. 160 miles is plenty for me to get around. So we heard in the intro that um, fewer than 1% of registered
0: vehicles in Minnesota are electric. So Dan, I'll start with you. Beth, maybe you want to weigh in on this as well. But
2: I mean, why aren't more people buying EVs? What's 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 the holdup? So I think it's a complicated situation. Um, I don't think there's one particular factor that is true for everyone. Um, and and I'll say that I'm a, I was an early adopter. I got my first EV in 2013. It was the original Nissan Leaf, um, 80 mile range and much less charging available. Um, so that was a more challenging thing. And I think. You know, people in that early adopter stage, they're willing to uh, deal with much more inconvenience, et cetera, because they care so much about it. They want it to work. As we go up the adoption curve, people are going to want a closer to that gas experience for charging than they have with an electric vehicle. They want something closer to what they're used to. And that is starting to happen with fast chargers, with longer batteries, etc. cetera. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some factors in, uh, you know, let's, it's price, too, right? Um, it's coming down a lot. There's incentives, but it's still unreachable for a lot of families. Beth, did you want to weigh in on that?
4: Yeah, I would just say, you know, in Minnesota, we're seeing, um, less than 1%, but nationally, uh, it's higher. It was about 9.8%, I think, at the end of 2023. Mm. Uh, so we've, we've gone over that 5% sort of early adopter and tipping point. Um, and so, and sales have, um, have gone up. You know, we've basically doubled, I think, in about two years in Minnesota, the number of, of registered EVs. And it's also about, um, you know, the availability of the vehicles as the manufacturers are, producing more and within different price ranges, I think we'll start to see see that continue to grow.
0: Dan Gunderson, let's bring you in here quickly. Um, Excuse me, you've been doing a bunch of EV reporting from your post in Moorhead, um, with a particular focus on, on rural Minnesota. What do you what have been some of your big takeaways from your perspective on the
3: reporting you've done? Well, you know, I've learned that there's really a wide range of user experiences out there. Um, so much variety across this as it, as this industry is developing. Um, and, you know, there are many early adopters and they are willing to experiment and they'll put up with a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, infrastructure challenges and things like that to use EVs. Uh, of course, when I did reporting earlier uh, last year, uh, EV supply was pretty low. That's changed. There's now a surplus of electric vehicles. Production exceeded demand last year. Um, and industry analysts are expecting that, you know, that will continue this year and likely mean prices will be a little bit lower. Um, and also learned, especially in rural Minnesota, range anxiety is real, although it's fading a bit as the charging infrastructure improves. People are still really concerned. You know, in rural Minnesota, people tend to drive further distances than they would in the metro. And so there's a lot of concern about, can I find a charging station? Can Will it be working? You know, Will I have enough charge to get where I need to go?
1: You know, maybe we should just take a step back for a minute, because I think sometimes it's confusing when we talk about EVs. It's not clear if people are talking about fully electric or, or plug-in electric or hybrids. Either Diana or Beth, do you want to weigh in on just sort of maybe walk us through the options out there for people and how they're different? Yeah. So there are several different types of electric vehicles.
4: There are the, um, the hybrid electric vehicles. Um, so things like a Toyota Prius. Uh, that are gas and generate battery power as they're driving. And then there are plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. So an example of that would be a Chrysler Pacifica minivan where you can plug it in, but you also have a gas backup, and you get a certain range. It's uh, maybe 30 or 40 miles on the battery. And then there are battery electric vehicles, which are totally battery powered and you can only charge them or get fuel
1: into them by plugging them in. And Diana, I know when electric vehicles first came out, they were mostly small cars, but we're seeing a lot more options out there now for people,
2: including trucks, right? Right. And I think that that's one of the things um, that will help um, with that adoption curve. Um, A lot of people waiting for that bigger vehicle, that SUV, the truck, the Ford Lightning has been very exciting. Um, I do a lot of work across the state and in greater Minnesota, um, and that has been um, really, really exciting. And so, um, you know, folks are really there's. Pretty much anything that you're looking for in that, you know, light duty range, you know, including SUVs and trucks, and there's more coming. I mean, when you think about all the manufacturers that are planning to have only sell electric vehicles by 2035, they're they're putting out all kinds of different models. And so I think that that's really um factor. This is NPR News. I'm Dan Crocker, and I'm here with my colleague, Christy Marone,
0: filling in for Angela Davis this week. I'm um, doing some some shows on our Getting to Green series, and today we're talking about electric vehicles. We'd love to hear from you, too. Do you own an EV? What's your experience been? Or are you thinking about buying one, and you have some questions or concerns for our experts? Phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800 242 Twenty-eight, twenty-eight. We've got a lot of folks uh, eager to join the conversation. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah in Saint Paul, who's been waiting for a couple minutes. Jeremiah, thanks for calling in. What do you want
5: to add? Uh, just you know, as soon as I heard you guys talking about the EVs, you know, my wife and I just purchased our first EV. We have a Chevy Bolt uh, back in September, and one of the things you guys talked about was the cold um, being our first winter with the car. Um, it's great. Really, uh, you lose a little bit of energy power, you know, because of the cold kind of might slow your home charge a little bit. Um, but if you're just really an in-city driver uh, like we are, uh, it, it we replenish our battery with what we use every day. So it's not too much of a problem.
0: And Jeremiah, do you charge in your garage or how do you charge a
5: vehicle? Well, we don't have a garage. We uh, live in a duplex and we don't have a garage, but there's an outlet out there. And when you buy, when you buy a Chevy, you get a portable uh, level one outlet, which gives you about a minimum of three to about eight miles per hour charge. And it's just a simple 120, you know, outlet that like your household outlet, you just plug in, plug into your car and there you go. <laughs> really simple.
0: Hey Jeremiah, when you, when you said that you that you charge in your in your in your driveway, our, our guests we're, were getting pretty <clears throat> we're getting pretty excited. So <laughs> Diana Beth, give me what what, what, what did you hear that that made you made you happy to hear what Jeremiah was saying?
2: Well, one of the challenges is obviously charging for folks that live in multifamily. That's one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. Um, uh, people that don't have a garage that they can charge. And so I love to hear uh, uh, somebody having an experience where they don't have a garage and they figured out how to do it. And what he's talking about is the trickle charge, you know, the regular outlet. Um, And, and when I had my first EV, we did buy a charger and it cost some money and we had to dr- do a trench and we had to, you know, add a panel and a gra- we had to do some things. We did some investment. When I got my second car, as I was thinking about a charger, it comes with this portable cord that actually is both... You could use it for two, you know, 220 as well as 110. And um, I said, is there any reason I can't just use this instead of buying an actual charger? Because I mostly just charge in my garage. So I use the cord that came with my car hmm. to charge. I did not buy a charger. I have a 220 outlet in my garage, and I plug that in, and that is how I charge. So I have a level two in my garage. Uh, I would just
4: concur with what Diana was having to say. It was, it, it's exciting to hear people um, figuring out how to make things work. Yeah, yeah.
1: Let's go to another caller. Uh, Mike in Minneapolis has been holding on, and he has a maybe an idea for a solution for what happened recently in Chicago, where we saw a bunch of Tesla owners uh, <laughs> having trouble charging their cars in cold weather. Mike, what did you want to add?
6: Hi. I have a problem to put forth, but I don't have is a solution. Mm-hmm um that chicago incident you mentioned had three four or five different reasons why things happened and one of them was some people are unable to charge at home in the twin cities we are so accustomed with our grid system for most of the city of one house one piece of property one garage one driveway but there are people who have a house on a piece of property but they don't have a driveway and most especially they don't have a garage what they have is public parking in front of the house. What a lot of people don't realize is the space between the street and the sidewalk is not owned by the property owner. They have to take care of it, they have to maintain it, but that's actually the city's right of way. It's really difficult to get permission to put a conduit underneath the sidewalk and up on the boulevard in order to have your EVSE, which is colloquially referred to as a class 2 charger, it's really difficult. There's lots of hurdles to get your EVSE out on the boulevard. That's the problem that needs to be solved and it involves lots of multiple governments, multiple regulations, multiple issues. It's a sticky, sticky problem that we need to find a solution to.
1: Thank you, Mike, for weighing in. Um, let me turn to our guests here. Beth, uh, you heard some of the challenges that Mike outlined. <laughs> what are some of the the uh, solutions maybe that the state is working on? Uh,
4: yeah, so with um, some of the state funds that uh, or federal funds and state funds, um, we will be looking at varying ways to support electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Some of the cities and counties are also looking at that as well. Um, and in the Twin Cities, um, there is the Our Car network. Um, they have their what's called the EV spot uh, charging network, I believe it is. And, and I, Diana and Gray Plains Institute have been a, a big part of that as well. Uh, that does is starting to provide some of that charging infrastructure along city street. So uh, yes, it's a it is a
2: challenge. Uh, but I know a lot of municipalities are working towards that. Diana, what did you want to add? Well, what I wanted to add is that um, she's right. Um, I want to add a challenge um, that's been happening with those that has been Really frustrating. Last night, I actually went to a restaurant and I was excited because it was across the street from one of these. I didn't really need a charge, but I like to um, use the infrastructure that's out there. And so I pulled up and both of the cords were cut. Mm. And this has been happening a lot. Like I, vandalized, you mean? Yes. And and um, there's a, a one right near the Midtown YWCA in South High, and that one has been cut, I think, about five times they've replaced it. This vandalism, and they've been trying to do some signs, like it's really not that much copper, like, <laughs> you know, and this is, you know, a crime. Um, but that has been one of the biggest challenges right now with the EV spot. The other thing I'll say is, um, you know, thank you for your call. Um, there's been a number of um, cities and places that are thinking about how to discharge charging in those right-of-ways, you know, tapping into the electric uh, or the uh, the light poles, et cetera, to create some of that right-of-way charging to deal with that issue of people that don't have access um, in a garage that they can do. There's some on-street parking options, which EV spot is in that right-of-way. That's how they are station- positioned. Because this is a big issue we have to address, right? Because there are a lot of people who live in
0: multifamily or yeah. or don't have a garage like this caller brought up.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, to, you know, Situation, And I think there's a lot of people that are thinking really hard about that and about trying to figure out how to how to make that happen. There's a number of programs, the utilities um, are all looking at different multifamily programs and trying to offer opportunities to get infrastructure into those places. But that's those are garages, right? You know, where people have but the where you don't have any garage or opportunity that on street um, parking and we're hoping to get there. um, And we're going to need to have more charging to to get where we want to go. We, we, we talked briefly about range anxiety
0: earlier. I know Dan Gunderson brought that up, but let's go to a caller, Kim in Plymouth, who has a, a question or a comment I think that relates to that. Kim, thanks for holding on. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, thanks. So we just bought our first EV in August. Um, like a lot of Minnesotans, I came from northern Minnesota. We have family in a cabin up there about 180 miles from my house. Um, in the winter, I can't drive there. So theoretically, my EV has a 280-mile range. I would say so far in this really cold spell, it's been half of that. And there are no charging stations on Highway 169 going north between about Princeton and Grand Rapids. There are none. Even if there was one, that honestly wouldn't make me enough to feel comfortable because they're frequently broken or they're not working or someone is using them. But so for people like a lot of Minnesotans um, who drive north, for example, in the summer or in the winter, there's just no realistic option of using your EV. So that's what I wanted to add.
0: Appreciate you calling in. Beth, did you want to weigh in on that?
4: Yeah, so I'd be happy to share a little bit about what MinDot is working on to help expand the charging network. Um, we have a few different opportunities that are, are coming to the state to help benefit Minnesotans. Uh, we have the Federal um, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act dollars um, to support what's called the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure, or NEVI, program, and that's a program that I work on. We are just um, doing a first round of charging station grants along in- Interstate 94 and Interstate 35. Um, those two roadways are chosen because um, they are our alternative fuel corridors right now for the state, and the funding source requires us to to build those out first. Um, but as we are getting that built out, we are also going to be doing some infrastructure needs assessment work uh, for the rest of the state and trying to get a handle on um, where it makes sense to, to try to install chargers. There's a lot of uh, factors that weigh into where chargers can go. And utility capacity is certainly one of them. Um, in the more rural areas, it becomes more of a challenge. And so it's a little chicken and egg sort of situation. Um, but that is what we are working on. And we have um, we appreciate uh, comments uh, like that, Kim, to help us know where people want to have charging stations.
1: Beth, where uh, would these charging stations likely be located along 94 and 35? Are these going to be mndot owned and operated stations, or are they going to be uh, gas stations, or, or what? Yeah, so um, in our uh, in our national or national electric vehicle
4: infrastructure uh, plan that we have for Minnesota right now, we have 18 what we're calling clusters of locations. The um, the funding source and the rule give us some parameters to work within. In terms of where to locate the station. So they need to be no more than 50 miles apart from each other along the roadway, and then they can be uh, no more than a mile driving distance from the exit. And so we did some work on um, picking locations that would fit those parameters. And so right now, our request for proposal that's out there for people to apply for has um, essentially circles on the map, uh, exits identified of where we can take applications from. And so um, yeah, we have an online mapping tool if people want to take a look and see what that is.
0: Dan Gunderson, let's bring you back into the conversation. I know you've done some reporting on some of these charging stations, right, around around rural Minnesota. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what you found?
3: Well, you know, there it, it's a constantly evolving situation. You know, we have these federal funds. We also have the um, Minnesota Pollution Control Agency that has funds from the Volkswagen settlement. You know, there was a right. settlement over emissions violations. So there's there's money going into helping... Stimulate construction of these charging stations, and that's important, especially in rural areas, because you know private investors are maybe less likely to put money into a rural area because maybe the return won't be as great, the use won't be as heavy. But we're seeing a lot more, you know, from businesses to utilities, to, you know, lots of people uh, and organizations are are putting in charging stations. So we're seeing it increase, um, and I think you know it's important to point out as as our guests have that you know most of the charging happens at home. And I think in rural areas, that's probably especially true. People charge, you know, have a full charge at the beginning of the day. But to travel a long distance, you still need to find a charger where you can stop and, and charge up. So the more of these chargers you can have, the more confidence it's going to give people. And the other key part is that so often has been the case, at least so far, according to my reporting, so many of these chargers are down or not working mm. or, you know, need extra you know, need somebody to to reboot them or do something, and so that creates a, also adds to the range anxiety. I think people wonder, well, is it going to work? There's one charger that I can use to get to my destination. You know, will it be working when I get there? So, um, certainly, as as we see more of these charging stations developing, that's going to really help. I think people have more confidence.
0: Dan, thanks so much for uh, for for joining us and sharing some of your expertise today from Moorhead. I'm curious if either is there is you I mean you mentioned the. Uh, Diana, you mentioned the, the the charging cords or cables that were cut. Um, Dan Gunderson mentioned some charging stations that you know that have been down. I mean, is is that is is there work being done
2: to sort to to address that issue to make these more reliable? I guess definitely growing pains. Yeah, um, and I think you know uh, when I first was driving my first generation Nissan Leaf, I. Um, to get to Duluth, I had to charge in Pine, um, Pine City. And if that charger was down, I could just couldn't get there. And, um, you know, that that is something um, where redundancy is really important. And, and, you know, Beth can talk about the NEVI standards that require redundancy because of those kinds of issues. And, you know, she can also talk about, you know, the them getting up. And I just want to say those are real issues. You know, the caller had real issues. Um, and the infrastructure is is – you know, growing and and coming. And um, I, I want to also point out that another choice is a plug-in hybrid vehicle mm. that will go just as far as any gas vehicle. So if if that doesn't work for your family to have a full electric vehicle, then a plug-in hybrid vehicle is a good Um, alternative and they get between 20 and, and 50 miles of electric first. And so if you're plugging in it every day and you drive less than that, you're driving an electric car. Um so there's there's ways, you know, to do that. And and Jan mentioned um the utilities, a bunch of the utilities are really doing a lot of work. Otter Tail Power has done a ton of um I think Halleck, Minnesota. I saw one in War Road the other day. Like we're seeing these in those greater Minnesota places. Um so I think that's important. I
0: want to play an excerpt of a conversation I had last week with Pavel Ignatovich. He owns GS Motors and Hopkins, which specializes in used EVs, mainly lease returns. When I stopped by, he was buying inventory online. See how it goes. What are you Go. trying to get here? What kind of Nissan vehicle? Leaf?
7: Nissan Leaf Plus. Okay. You it's got, done. Did you All get right. it? Yeah. Yeah, I got it. I got six today. Uh, Ikonitovich
0: well, so says last year here, business was good. Um, for the first time, the IRS offered up to a four thousand dollar tax credit for used EVs. He says he sold over 100 cars to customers who took advantage of it. And now starting this year, customers can get a rebate at the time of sale.
7: This has been driving some traffic. Usually, normally, start of the year is a very slow season, before the start of the tech season. But right now it's been busy and I'm getting some cars because I kind of sold more than I thought I would.
0: He says lower prices are also helping drive sales. During the pandemic, supply chain issues reduced the number of cars available and
7: drove up prices. So a year ago, a $25,000 car. Today is $20,000. So $5,000 difference. But two years ago, same car was a $30,000 car. So seriously, there's been about 20, 30, 40 percent price drops with some models. He believes sales
0: will pick up some more as interest rates drop and when Minnesota rolls out its state-level rebate. Ignatovich says most of his customers come in knowing they want an EV. But sometimes he talks people out of them.
7: Because I know it's not going to work for them, especially if someone lives in a multifamily you know, dwelling, um, like an apartment where there is no way to plug in.
0: He says it can work if customers have a place to charge at work, but he says it's tough to rely solely on the public charging network, even though it's growing. The most frequent question he fields, he says, is how much the range of EVs drops in the
7: winter. The truth is, you're gonna, if you cut the range in half in winter, you'll be fine. When you're thinking to buy an electric car, let's say Chevy Bolt with 260 miles range, think about 130 in winter, and you'll never be in trouble. Otherwise, if you think that it's going to be always 260, it's not going to work for you.
0: He hops into a 2021 Nissan LEAF to show off some features. He says newer EVs now make noise for the safety of other people.
7: So here it's all just normal. But once we go into the gear, you can hear that humming, you know, it's, and it's for outside. so that, And that's only at low speeds. So once you get up, above, like, 30 miles per hour, it goes away. It's just for the people to hear that there is a car coming.
0: Ignatovic says EVs are smooth and quiet with quick acceleration. They're better for the climate okay. and Christ. human health. And he says the technology is rapidly improving.
7: Don't be scared. Do some research. A lot of them are very affordable cars. It will be much cheaper to own. It will be much cleaner to own. You will help your neighborhood with clean air. You will help yourself with your, you know, with your wallet, spending less money on maintenance and gas. So don't be afraid. Try it out. If it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But in most cases, it does work.
1: I want to hear what our guests think of Pavel's experience buying and selling used EVs. We're talking with Diana McEwen, who leads the clean energy resource teams through the nonprofit Great Plains Institute. Diana works across Minnesota, supporting clean energy projects, including transportation electrification and Beth Callisted, a planner at the Office of Sustainability and Public Health at the Minnesota Department of Transportation. She oversees federally funded construction of EV charging stations along some key highways in Minnesota. So Diana, we heard Pavel talk about the challenges of charging EVs, especially in multifamily dwellings. He's
2: actually telling people maybe it's not the best option for them. What do you? How, what's your reaction to that? I, I think that's that's great as a salesperson to be really honest about the situation. It, it might not work for everyone. Of course, in that situation, the Nissan Leaf might not have worked, but a plug-in hybrid would work, um, perhaps. You know, where they could find some plug-in, they could still, you know, if depending on how that worked for them. But the the Winter. We've already talked about the winter um, component, and and I'll just say that um, the Drive Electric Minnesota and the CERTs team are putting on the first-ever winter EV ride-and-drive in Ely, Minnesota on February 3rd as part of their winter festival, and we're excited. We don't think we're going to get 500 people there, but we want people to have an opportunity to experience the car in the winter, in the snow, in the cold. We're hoping Ely will be cold. Um, I mean – Yes, we're hoping that Ely would be cold. Within reason, right? <laughs> yeah, um, and and we really want to uh, provide an opportunity for people to experience that um, because I think and to, and and that's my biggest advice to people. If you're thinking about it, you're considering it. Test drive a vehicle, to just test drive a vehicle. That is really um, the best way. Because the other thing we haven't talked about, they're super fun to drive. It's torque. You put the, you know, you put the pedal on it. I can, you know, rock it. I, I hope there's no authorities listening. <laughs> um so I think that's really important. And and when it comes to the range, you know, I live in the Twin Cities, so it's a little, e- it's easier for me. I charge mostly still at home, but I don't drive as far. And if I need charging, it's available. But I did do a trip this fall. And went down to lacrosse and I had to plan and I got that experience I had to really plan and think about it and there were some challenges um hitting the deer on the way back had nothing to do with the, <laughs> yeah. that I have an electric vehicle um so you know it, I it, it's you have to plan
1: let's go to another caller Dale in Minneapolis has been holding on and I believe he's a landlord in Minneapolis Dale what did you want to add
8: Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) We don't have enough time. Uh, So I got turned on to uh, environmental stewardship in 2000 during that election. I educated myself on environmental issues. Uh, I've had coffee so I can make this quick and I'll stay focused. Please. (laughs) Um, But uh, but when I saw the oil shooting up out of the Gulf of uh, Mexico, I'm like, okay, I'm done with this stuff. So I've been working hard on getting off of fossil fuels ever since. I electrified a 2004 Prius with a battery in the back. So that's that's how far I'm willing to take it. Uh, we have installed 40 EV charge stations for our tenants. The tenants get to use the level two charges for free, and they get free parking uh, at our rental property, in Minneapolis. All of my tenants get a free unlimited MTC bus pass uh, as well. Um, anybody interested? It's Green Rock Apartments. I'm not advertising. I'm just I want other people to know what's uh, available and what's possible to other landlords, because we can fix all this stuff. But people have to be willing to maybe be a little inconvenienced and to push forward. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't burned gas since 2011. We haven't paid for hot water since 2004 on our home. Uh, so I've been trying to like, just figure, it, figure this out going forward to get off fossil fuels.
1: Thanks, Dale, for the call. I appreciate it. Do other of our guests want to weigh in? Are, is, are you hearing more of that interest from um, from landlords, from businesses, in installing EV chargers
2: yeah, for how, their?
0: Yeah. How how I'm sorry to interrupt. No, how ahead. how unusual is that 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 landlord is doing that?
2: Um, that's. Uh, it's a little bit unusual. Um, I think we're seeing that more and more, and I know that our car um, has been working um, to get they had a program to get some chargers into multifamily and we've worked with them to promote that and try to you know reach these um, um, uh, multifamily owners, property owners to do that. So I think we're seeing more of it because that is one of the biggest challenges for charging is access to a charger um, you know so if you don't have a garage, you don't um, it's more challenging.
0: We're going to try to get some more callers on the phone here in the next 15 minutes. I want to go to um, Gary in St. Paul, um, who has a comment about, I think it's probably fair to say, Gary, right, that you're skeptical about this a bit. So explain where you're coming from. I appreciate you calling in and holding for for so long.
8: That's okay. Um, And thanks for taking the call. Um, I think the biggest problem we're going to have is we've got to fix our grid first. Happened in Texas with their grid. They don't, they don't support it, but the government's got to fix the grid first before you get any of this stuff off the ground. Once, like you've been calling in saying how great it is to go this far and with the batteries and stuff,
0: yeah.
8: Yeah, that's going to work if you haven't got a grid that can handle it because once, once this goes off and everybody goes out and buys electrical vehicles and starts plugging in, on goes our grid. That's the end of the story.
0: Gary, thanks so much for that call. I want to throw that to our guests. Um, Beth, could you respond to that? And especially, right, because as we add more electric vehicles, we're going to need more electricity, right, to to power those cars.
4: Absolutely, we are. And I know, you know, the utilities within Minnesota are working on this, um, across the country are working on this. There is uh, more transmission capacity coming um, through the Midwest system. I um, won't get into the details on that right now. But um, so yes, um, the state is well aware, our commerce uh, energy office, we had um, Pete Wyckoff in the other day, they're, they're very well aware and are working on it. And the I guess the good news in this in this transition time is that we have time, um, you know, we're not going to see all the cars flip from right. to uh, from gas to electric within a
2: day. So um, there is some time. Um, and so yeah, very well aware. Diana, yeah, it's a transition, and I think the other thing, important thing to know is that um, if you're going to buy an electric vehicle, look at your you, go reach out to your utility company. They have programs to manage this load, and so they have your cheaper rates at night, and they're trying to um, you know really deal with that the grid issues and encouraging those those charge that charging to happen at night. So there's a lot of great programs, and those these utilities are planning for this.
1: Um let's go to another caller. Um we have a couple of callers on the line who want to talk about alternatives to EVs, um other forms of transportation, other ways to get around. Um Ed in St. Paul wants to talk about electric bikes. Ed, are you there?
0: Ed might be on his bike actually. <laughs> <laughs> he might.
1: Um how about Kirk in Minneapolis? Are you are you holding still?
6: Yes, I'm here. Go what ahead,
1: did Kirk. you want to what do you want to add to the conversation?
6: Well, I I just feel like that uh, I don't know if we know for sure that electric vehicles are the best alternative. Uh, I mean, they have to be produced, they have to be uh, disposed of, there's clearly problems. Uh, how do we know that that maybe less cars, electric or gas is not better, maybe uh, less driving, uh, hydrogen cars? Uh, I, I just feel like that we're kind of pushing down this path for electric, and I'm not certain that it's going to meet the goal that we have for lowering our emissions.
1: Thanks, Kirk, for that. I appreciate it. Beth, what do you think about that? I mean, how should we be thinking about how EVs fit into the state's larger goals of reducing emissions from the transportation sector? Yeah, thank you, Kirk, for that question. It's a great one. Um, So it's
4: definitely a both and. Um, Electric vehicles are going to be part of the solution for reducing emissions from transportation, but they are definitely not the whole um, solution. So one of the things that that MnDOT is working on and, and our office is working on is the concept of reducing vehicle miles traveled. And we know that that is going to look different in different parts of the state, depending on what the options are for people. But things like improving bike infrastructure, walking infrastructure, uh, transit options, the rapid transit, all those sorts of things, um, so that people do have options, you know, like carpooling. Um, There's a variety of strategies and ways to do that. And so it's definitely going to be a both-and. And and, and to the caller's point of additional fuel sources, um, you know, some states are – are having hydrogen out there. We are also looking um, and have been working on some recommendations to the legislature for a clean transportation standard on ways to kind of reduce the um, the carbon intensity of some of the current fuels. So there's a lot of strategies being implemented. Let's go to the, uh, the phones again. Um, D- uh,
0: David in West Central Minnesota raises an important question about carbon emissions and electric vehicles. David, thanks for holding on. Go ahead, please.
9: Um the question I have is why don't we ever talk about the fact that we are still using non-renewable resources um gas or coal-fired power plants to charge these vehicles when in, in in we are just we are just mainly robbing Peter to pay Paul.
0: David, thank you for that. Beth, did you want to address that?
4: Yeah, I can I can start off with that. Um so in Minnesota, we have a goal for 100% uh, clean energy by, by 2040, I believe the, the goal is. And that's actually a law. It is. It Correct. is. Yes. Yep. And so our utilities are working towards um, more renewable and carbon-free sources of electricity generation. So you're right. Um, in certain locations, that is further along than others, um, but it is still less um If you look at the whole life cycle of the vehicle usage, it is less for the electric vehicles than than for the internal combustion engines.
2: I'll add, just especially in Minnesota, we're really lucky. A lot of our utilities here have, have gone m- towards renewables more quickly than other parts of the uh, the country. And so even with today's grid in Minnesota, making the switch to an EV can reduce your greenhouse gas emissions by 78 percent, according to recent research from DOE. So it's really important to know that um, there's, you know, you've talked about it all week, this a move to electrification. And part of that reason is because it's, the you can't clean gas. You know, it's, it's, a, it's less cost carbon. So there's, going to the grid is good. We have, a, we have a really green grid that's getting greener.
1: Can we talk a little bit about the cost of EVs? Because I know when they first hit the market, they were quite a bit more expensive than gas-powered vehicles, but we've seen those prices coming down quite a bit. Um, Diana, maybe you want to start. How does the upfront cost of an EV now compare to a traditional gas-powered car?
2: Um, you know, there, uh, the average cost of a new vehicle in U.S. is around 50000 and it's just a little bit above that, maybe fifty two, fifty three, dollars somewhere in that range for EVs, the average cost. So it's not that far off, but even the average cost of a $50,000 car is not accessible for a lot of households. Um, you know, the benefit, you know, we have these electric vehicle rebates nationally. Um, you know, I think there was some about that in the report, and we have a state rebate as well that is coming out soon. We don't know when, but soon. We heard actually next month is what the Minnesota Department of Commerce told us. And when they open it up, it's going to be gone in 2.5 seconds. (laughs) Um,
0: Which is a problem, right? Because the demand is going to outpace what's going to be available, huh? Uh,
2: For sure. hundred percent. And so, you know, it's it's really, um, you know, the price, the thing that, the thing about electric vehicles is you have to take it's a different frame of mind. You can't just think about the upfront cost of the vehicle because the savings difference for the for the car is in the the ownership and the fuel costs cuz I pay about a fourth of the cost of fuel using electricity versus gas when it's about $3 a gallon and I'll say that, you know, the market signals, right? So when we saw $5 gas, the people went out and bought a lot of EVs because they recognized the economics um, in addition to the environmental benefits. And so I think it's really important you have to think about the total cost of that ownership over time. And that's where you see the savings.
1: And what about maintenance? Because I yeah. think that's a concern for people. There, you know, If I buy one, yeah. am I going to be able to
2: find somebody who yeah. can fix it or work on it if something goes wrong? So that's my favorite question because um, my maintenance is windshield wiper washer fluid mm-hmm. um, and rotating car, uh, my tires, but I have snow tires, so I never really have to do that because that happens when they do that. Um, I haven't had any mechanical problems that I had to deal with in my 10 years of EV ownership. I've not once had a mechanical issue minus the deer and other things. Um, but, you know, it just hasn't been an issue. And so for me, it's not just the um, lack of repairs money-wise, but for me, time. I don't have to go get an oil change. I don't have to do, like, I don't have to bring my car to the shop. That saves me time. Let's go back to the phones because Ed in St. Paul is, I think,
0: is off his bike and, and ready to chat. Ed, thanks for, uh, for joining us again. Go ahead, please.
9: Hey, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Okay, so yeah, uh, so I, I ride an EV with two wheels and pedals. Um, it has it, it. It weighs sixty pounds. It's a hybrid vehicle because it runs on both electricity and carbohydrates. The battery is weighs less than ten pounds. I think it might weigh eight. Uh, I bring it inside to charge it in my conventional outlet. It uses a fraction of the energy per Gary's comment about the the drain on the on the grid, mm-hmm. um, and it it can account for probably seventy five percent of my vehicle usage. So I think that should be an important part of anybody's uh, portfolio of, of vehicles.
0: Thank you so much for calling in and adding that. And And do you rather you have anything to add? Because even beyond e- e-bikes, um, because it's not just about electric vehicles, right? When we talk about our transportation system, what what else needs to happen? is it, Because not everyone's going to get an electric vehicle. There's lots of other ways folks get around. Um, paint a broader picture for us if you could.
4: I know at MinDOT our um, Office of Transit and Active Transportation is working a lot with the transit, the smaller transit systems around the state, um, to help them toward electrifying those buses. And um, and the Met Council is also doing work on on bus electrification. So um, that is is a big piece of it as well. School
1: buses, um, there's a lot of work on that. Let's go to the phones again. Um, Will in St. Paul, you have some experience with a car share program. Can you tell us about that?
9: I can. Thanks for having me. So uh, perfect uh, introduction with a question about cloth. Not everyone will be able to afford or or want to or even need to own an EV. Uh, But there will be opportunities where you, you need a car. Uh, uh, like one of your callers said, uh, not all the time. Mm
8: -hmm. So uh,
9: residents and visitors to St. Paul and Minneapolis can use EV car share, and that's spelled E-V-I-E car share. Uh, Clever, maybe confusing, but in any case, EV car share. And there are 170 of these EVs uh, across Minneapolis and St. Paul and open to use by anybody. And uh, folks use them to perform all kinds of different trips. Uh, the, the target run is a popular trip, um, but people use it uh, to have access to, to the kind of all the benefits of EVs that you've been talking about without owning an EV.
1: Thanks for that comment. Do either of our guests want to weigh in on
2: these these car share programs? Is that a good option for people who maybe can't afford? It's to a buy great it. option, and it's not just for that. But then you get it, an opportunity to really experience it—not just a test drive, but drive it around. And really use it and determine whether that's something you want to, you know, that you want to do. So I think it's a great program. We're super excited about um, the, the vehicles being accessible to folks to try it out and use it. And and car sharing is a better, you know, situation for our carbon. Right? You don't own a car, you share a car. It's great.
0: Let's go to the phones again. Joe in Rochester um, has called in. Joe, thanks for waiting. What do you want to add?
6: Well I'm uh, uh, we a retired. Uh, director for a power company. And uh, basically, I was going to say that uh, over the last few years, the uh, they've uh, made it very difficult, the state has, to make it affordable. Um, I've noticed when I bought my first electric car is that they charged me, the license plates, they usually charge me about double in general than any other vehicle, um, even though the value was, half as much on certain things. And then I noticed that the uh, the other thing was is that uh, we have, actually have a penalty on the license plate that uh, charged like an extra $50. And uh, it just wasn't a good deal all the way around.
0: Joe, thanks for calling with that. Uh, I have Beth here from MnDOT who's nodding her head. <laughs> Beth, Beth, go ahead.
4: Yeah, we, we do get a lot of questions about... Um, uh, about EVs and and how they're going to fit into the larger um, structure of of funding the um, the road construction projects that currently come from from gas sales and things like that. So so one of the reasons the the, um, the the caller said uh, there you do currently pay more in um, on the the tax and registration for an electric vehicle, um, and the, I think that's something that that we'll continue to be exploring at
1: MnDOT. We're getting close to the end of the hour here. Um, Diana, if if somebody's interested in maybe buying an EV, but they're not quite sure yet, they want to maybe test one out or or just see what it feels like to drive one, what do you recommend people do? What are some opportunities they could maybe, um, you know, try one out, uh, see if it might work for them and their lifestyle?
2: Well, I mean, I think you could go to a dealership that has electric vehicles and test drive it. The the EV spot, um, you know, is a nice choice too, but I think – you know there's opportunities there's lots of entities doing these ride and drives Um, there's a lot on the drive electric minnesota website you can go in and research and put in um, how many miles you drive and kind of figure some things out but you know my my recommendation to people is just really you know get in and test drive it because we have this monumental opportunity right now for equitable implementation of these clean energy solutions including evs and we need to achieve speed and scale so um to meet these goals Well, our time is up for today. I
0: want to thank our guest, Diana McEwen, co-leads the Clean Energy Resource Teams through the nonprofit Great Plains Institute. Also, thanks to Beth Kalestad. She's a sustainability planner in the Office of Sustainability and Public Health at the Minnesota Department of Transportation. Also, we heard from our colleague, Dan Gunderson, NPR News correspondent based in Moorhead. I'm Dan Crocker. Thanks also to my co-host, Christy Marone, and our producer, Maya Beckstrom.